If you want my problems, Jesus, you can have them. If you want my sickness, Jesus, you can have it. If you want my poverty, Jesus, you can have it. Jesus said he'll take it all. Why hold on to it anymore? If he said he took it on the cross, my brother, why hold on to it anymore? Jesus, you can have my sickness. I'll be healed in Jesus' name. Come on. Jesus, you can have my poverty. I'll be blessed. You can have my mental anguish. I'll have peace of mind that passes understanding. Amen and amen. May you be seated in the presence of the Lord. Why hold on to our troubles when Jesus said he'll take them? And when we look back to the cross, we know that he did. Amen? How many believe Jesus took your sorrows? How many believe Jesus took your sicknesses? How many believe Jesus took all of that and then some? Amen? Your sin, your sorrows, your sickness. He took it all, didn't he? Why hold on to it anymore? Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 4, verse 27. We used to sing a song. Maybe we'll sing it at the end here. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. Come on. You know? And then what's the other one, uh, the other verse? I'm trading my sorrows. Is that it? Did I already say that part? Shame. There you go. I'm. Hold on, hold on. Before we go to that part, what's the first part? I'm trading my... Okay, did I already say that part? Okay, so what's the second verse? There we go. Okay, so it goes, I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. There we go. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. How many believe that's worth doing today? I believe that's worth the time to do that. That's why I come to church, because I want to help you to do that. I want you to help me to do that. I want to learn more about how to do that. I want to trust Jesus with all that and then some. Amen? I'm going to do an official a welcome of my brother Austin, probably when he officially... It's not now? Okay, can I delete? Oh, it's Logan. That's his name. Austin is the other one. There were two bros that I met in Dallas at the same time, and I have forever confused their names. So you're not the only one. He's, he's, he gets called Logan, too. So let's get it up for Logan, who is now part of the congregation. Kind of, sort of. I got it all messed up. I'm just trying to make you feel special, but I did the opposite. You don't want to come back now. When will you make this your official home? End of the month. But you came, you saw, you conquered Marcella's heart. So the long story short is we've had some Dallas and Chicago interaction going on. Logan, the man of God, who Juan, I believe, connected to the church, wherever Juan is. Of course, that's what, oh, there he is. You're actually here. When I call on somebody, they're here. There he is, wearing your pastel spring colors. God bless you, man of God, looking sharp as always. And you met him through what, online? Is that how you guys met? In the YouTube comment section. And then he started attending MPI Dallas, right? And then from there, he maybe visited or saw online Marcella. How did you see Marcella first in a visit? Okay, so it was a lot of Facebook stuff. So it started online before you guys actually met. And then you, then you came down and met her. Like I said, came, saw, and conquered her heart. And then now, how long has the relationship been going on? That's awesome. Let's give it up for this beautiful budding relationship. Wedding shower was yesterday. 
Okay, so I'm redeeming myself here a little. Good job, Pastor. Good job. You only embarrassed yourself at the beginning, but you back in it now. Okay, so everybody's treated special here. Okay, now I'm going to tell your story. No, I'm kidding. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 27. I just want to let him know I appreciate him being here. And I've been praying for you. I'm like, oh, Lord, help me just love him as much as Dallas has loved him. Because they got some special love there. They got some special love. I think it's special here, too. First, uh, or first of all, let me say this. Let me say what a blessing it was to see those baptisms last week. Isn't that amazing what God is doing in this church? Let us never take that for granted. And as we get ready to go into this service, uh, this part of the sermon today, let us not forget that's what we're talking about. Okay, We're talking about souls getting saved. Today's message is going to be entitled, Ripe for the Harvest. So let's keep that in our minds if we could today. What it looks like when a person gives their heart to Jesus, they testify of God's goodness. I mean, there were tears of joy in that baptismal tank. It was amazing. Let's remember our own testimonies. Let's remember what God has done for us, and let's get ready to put in some gospel work. Are you guys ready? Amen. Ripe for harvest, John chapter 4, verse 27. This is continuing on from the woman at the well. Just then, his disciples returned, okay? So Jesus was there by himself. His disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. That was not common in that day. But no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's just remind ourselves of the previous passage and the previous sermons that we had on this. Jesus stops at a well, speaks with a woman, talks about who he is as the gift giver, and offers her the water of life. There at that point, she gets a little bit confused. Jesus starts to clarify. She says then she wants it, and then Jesus gets a word of knowledge to know something about her that others would not normally know unless they knew her, and he speaks to her about her many relationships with men, and he then tells her that the way you're going to be close to God is by worshiping God in spirit and in truth. How many think that's a pretty good story? Can I hear Amen. That's her testimony. That's what she's been through. Now she goes back home. She, tell her, she tells her friends about this. Could this be the Messiah? So now they come out to come meet Jesus. Now at that same time, these Samaritans are coming to come meet Jesus by the well. The disciples are talking to him and urge him. They say, Rabbi, eat something. Verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Now look at verse 34. Somebody say, my food, thank you, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Let me just skip ahead here just in a moment. You don't have to turn there, but we will be going to a very controversial passage in John chapter 6 where Jesus claims that his flesh is our meat and his blood is our drink. Roman Catholics have taken that to mean that the transubstantiation of the elements of communion become the literal body and blood of Jesus. So in other words, you eat Jesus, and that's why you have to be fed it, and that's why even the crumbs and all that, the wine that is left over has to be treated a certain way that is literally Jesus and they worship the communion. They worship that communion because they believe it is Jesus. Now if that is true that Jesus is the communion in that literal sense, then this verse right here that, be, that comes before John chapter 6 says that Jesus is eating you. 
Everybody look at it. What did Jesus say his food was? To do the will of, of the one who sent him, right? And in just a few moments, he's going to say doing God's will is winning souls. And so the souls that are one, we're going to be his food. You're going to hear that. So he said, my food is to do the will of God, and the will of God is preaching to lost people. So if we're taking it literally that we eat Jesus, then Jesus also eats us. Is that true? No, it's not true. So what are we supposed to take both of them as? Figurative. And he says it in John chapter 6 as well. These words I speak to you, they are spirit. They are spirit. These are spiritual words. We're not literally eating Jesus' body and blood. We are not literally eating him and then worshiping those elements. We are not believing that, nor do we believe that Jesus' food is to eat us. So if they're going to say it on one level, on John chapter 6, and say, hey, communion is literally Jesus, well, then in John chapter 4, I am what Jesus eats then. But if Jesus doesn't eat me, then I don't eat Jesus. How many are glad you're not eating somebody today? And the Bible does forbid cannibalism. Now, when you look back at this, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months unto harvest. So he says, don't you all talk about these kinds of things? You do. Now look at what he says. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Who does he want them to look at and open their eyes and see the harvest as? The Samaritans, people coming to see Jesus. Does everybody get the flow here? That's why I took my time to explain it. Jesus has been talking to a woman at the well. He has rocked her life in a good way. Now she has left to go get her friends. Those friends are coming in one direction. Here the disciples have come in another direction. Now they're talking with him. And Jesus says, look, and he's pointing over to these Samaritans coming. And he's saying, look, the harvest is ripe. They are ripe right now. Some may say, ripe for the harvest. And that's his food. The food is the harvest. How many eat a harvest? How many eat food that was harvested, in other words, okay? So Jesus' food is to do the will of the one who sent him. He was sent by the Father, and the Father wants him to win souls. They are ripe for the harvest. Verse 36, even now the one who reaps draws a wage. They're getting paid and harvests a crop for eternal life. So he says, even right now, there are people getting a wage, a blessing, a reward for reaching out and doing the work that brings eternal life. So that the sower, the one who plants the seeds, and those who reap the seeds may be glad together. Does everybody see how that's working out? A little bit of farmer talk here, okay? Thus the saying, one sows, one plants, and another reaps is true. That's a saying that they had at that time. One sows, one reaps. I sent you, Jesus says here, to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Who do I think Jesus is referring to? The prophets of old, the Old Testament, the 39 books that they had come before them. These prophets had prepared the way for Jesus to come, and now these disciples were able to preach those words and to see people come to the Messiah. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Now, 
Why did that happen? Look right here. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So they came for that, and they started to believe. So when the Samaritans came to them, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So there was a group that first came because of the woman's testimony and believed, and then as Jesus stayed in that area, others heard Jesus and began to believe. Now notice the woman's testimony helped people believe and Jesus's personal words helped people believe. In other words, God can use you and he can speak directly to you to others. So he can use you to speak to others and he can speak directly to others. How many want to be a part of that process? Amen. They said to the woman, we no longer just believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of just the Jewish people, of just the good people, of just the Christians. No, this man is really the savior of the what? Of the world. So can Muslims be saved? Yes. They just have to stop wanting to be a Muslim. <laughs> can drug dealers be saved? Yep. They just have to repent from being drug dealers. Can the LGBTQ be saved? Absolutely. Just repent of your sexual perversion. So the whole world has a savior today. The whole world has the ability to be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so now it's up to folks, up to the people. Do they want to believe in Jesus? As we look at this story, we see that this is now our example to follow. Now in the story, we go from the woman at the well to being Jesus. I want you to notice the switch I'm making here. We learned about what Jesus did. And how many believe that was awesome? That's what he did. And how many of us read that story or heard that story and saw ourselves as the woman? We saw ourselves as the lost person. We saw ourselves at that. Most of us would say, I can relate to her in that way. Now we're going to flip the script. Now you're going to be Jesus in the story. Now you're going to do what Jesus did. You're not going to be like the woman who's confused. How many now understand that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth? So you're not confused like the woman was, right? You're no longer confused about where eternal life is. It's in Jesus. And Jesus gives you rivers of living water on the inside so that your soul never thirsts again. How many believe that? Amen. So now we go back to the passage where he teaches us to do the work that he's doing. Go back to verse 34 when he says, my food. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. How many believe Jesus is still working today as the Father has sent him to work? Who is he working through today? The church, is he not? Go to Matthew chapter 28. And get these words very clearly into your heart. It's on our wall. It's one of our theme scriptures here. Matthew chapter 28. And notice where Jesus is in this passage. Matthew chapter 28, 17 and onwards. It says, when they saw him, this is at the resurrection, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. So the discipleship is going to continue even after Jesus ascends to heaven. He's been resurrected, but now he hasn't ascended. But eventually, before Pentecost, he ascends. How many believe that? How many believe you seated at the right hand of the throne of Father right now? 
Okay, but watch. You're going to go out, he says, and you're going to go make disciples. Of how many nations? All nations, thank you, baptizing them as we did last Sunday in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, even the things that a culture may change on, we're going to keep preaching them. How many believe we're going to keep preaching the commands whether the culture likes it or not? Right now, notice this right here. And surely I am what? With you. How long? Always. Thank you to the very end of the age. Notice after the Great Commission in Matthew, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Going back to Matthew, uh, to John chapter 4, verse 34, when he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. How many believe Jesus is still doing the work of making disciples today with his church because he's with you. He's with me. He's in this place right now, and he's using us to go out and to preach his word. So we now must look at the story of the woman at the well and no longer see ourselves as the woman. If you're not saved today, you're still there, just in case there are any visitors, so let me be clear. Until you become a Christian, you're in the story like this woman who needs to have confusion removed and be filled with the rivers of God's living water, eternal life, and to repent of your sins. Okay, so that would apply to someone here not saved. But for the rest of us, how many of y'all saved in the house? We now are doing the work of Jesus finishing what the Father gave him to do. Somebody say, ripe for the harvest. Amen. So when I see Chicago, what do I see? The harvest is ripe, man. When I look at the high schools, when I look at the schools, what do I see? Ripe for the harvest. This is my food. This is my substance. This is where I get energy. This is my passion is to win souls and make disciples. If that was Jesus' passion, how much more so ours? Yes, God will use us on our jobs. Yes, God will use us within our families. But we must not forget Jesus' example is to go out into that big old scary world into the public setting and proclaim the message of salvation. We're supposed to do it. We can't say, well, that's just what they did back then. Jesus had to go outdoors to a well, but now I just send out my invitations via Facebook. No, you can still invite your friends via Facebook, tag them in this live feed even right now if you want, but we cannot neglect the one-on-one encounters with people face-to-face in their lives and in their space. We must go like how Jesus went to the places that might be ostracized or looked down upon as the Samaritans were, breaking cultural barriers as men weren't really supposed to speak to women. We must go to the places that need us the most and preach the gospel because the harvest is ripe. Why is it I chose Belmont and Clark when I first came to Chicago? Because preachers aren't supposed to be in the gay community. That's the first place I wanted to be. Preachers aren't supposed to preach to the transgender, the gay, and the lesbian. That's exactly who I want to hang out with, give a hug, a handshake, and preach the word of God to. As I've testified to you many times here before, I became so close to some of them that a lesbian asked me to do the funeral of her grandfather because she knew of no other pastor. When her family had this tragedy, she said, oh, I think I know of one. It's the one who's always preaching to us at Belmont and Clark. He'll come and officiate the funeral. 
What an amazing testimony that God granted me favor even among those who didn't like at times what I had to say. At least they knew what the scripture said about their lifestyle. And that's why when it became time to adopt a block, we adopted the block on Cicero and Ohio, right past division there on the west side. And we began to go there and haven't stopped going there in Jesus' name. Even people attending this church, leaders in the church, now from that community who we've known from the very young ages of, of children when we do the, did those things out there. Why? Because who wants to go to the west side? Oh, that's not my favorite area. That's a dangerous area. Those people don't look like me. You know what? That's exactly where I want to go, where they wonder whether I'm, not, whether I'm there buying crack or the police. I want to be there. What you doing here, man? What you want? <laughs> you the FBI or do you want some of this? No, I'm neither. I'm talking about Jesus. We're the church folks, amen? How many can't wait to go back to Ohio Park this summer and do sidewalk Sunday school? Praise God. Why do we go there? Why do we go to Mardi Gras? Why do we travel around the world and do these things? I remember when I was in Bible college, there was basically a theme. We traveled to the worst parts of your city and we preached the gospel. That's where we go. Oklahoma, where's your hood? That's where I started preaching. So when people talk to me about the cities I've been to, Oklahoma City, Atlanta, I don't know much about your city, but I know about your hood. Because in Bible college, that's all they would do is drive us around. We go in there, we go in here, we go in there, we're going where everybody else is afraid to go. First time I said to our church here, I was working on uh, Belmont and Austin in the youth group, I said, guess where we're going? We're going to Cabrini Green. <laughs> they said, Pastor, we don't go there. I said, you going there now? You can ask my wife. We went to Cabrini Green. That's what you do. That's what you do. You find the places where no one else wants to go. When my wife and I first started this church, our wedding was right around June, Father's Day weekend. Guess what else was going on around that time? Boricua Fest at Humboldt Park. I got pumped and excited. I said, honey, let's go before our wedding day. Let's go check it out. It was the day before our wedding. We went out there and started preaching. And I got so excited. I talked to all my preacher friends. Some of them are Borinquen. They're Puerto Rican. They live right there in Humboldt Park. I said, come on, let's go. You know what they said to me? I don't even go preach to my own people out there. They're crazy. I'm not going to Humboldt Park. And they lived a few blocks from Humble Park on North and Pulaski. One pastor said, I don't even go down there during Bodiqua Fest. I said, this gringo will take your spot. I'll go down there in Jesus' name. I remember one large church in that area, probably the biggest. If I said it, you would know it. Known as the mayor of Humboldt Park. This pastor is no longer pastoring, but has spiritual sons and daughters there. I remember when his youth pastor, I almost just said the name. Anyways, I might as well. I gave you so many hints. But I remember when their youth pastor came out there, and they saw us preaching on the corner of California and North. And you know what they said, Brother Juan? We used to go out here. Oh, but it got too dangerous. We don't go out here anymore. I said, brother, we'll, we'll stay out here. Thanks for making room for us in Jesus' name. Tell your pastor I'll meet him out here. He's the mayor of Humble Park. Tell him come preach out here with me in Jesus' name. Now, have we seen some cops running through the streets when we've been out there? Yes, we have. Has it been dangerous at times? It has been. I would be lying to you if I told you it was any different. 
But do I regret any time that I've been out there? No, because I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier in the army. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. Somebody should have told you I'm a JC soldier. Somebody should have told you I'm a JC soldier. When I die, let me die in the army of the Lord. When I die, let me die in the army. I'm a soldier. I remember going out there learning all the gangs. Okay, so you're kings, and then you're this, and then you're that, and then you're this. Let me tell you what gang I ride with. I ride with the real disciples of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. I remember preaching out here on this corner as I was new to Chicago because I had pastored originally in New Orleans before coming here. And I'm a small town boy from Indiana if you want to know my story. I remember preaching out here on the corner learning about the community and the gangs and all this. This one dude had tattoos all over himself. I was preaching to him, but he was busy. He had to go do things, and I left him my number. Later on that night, he calls me up around 1 in the morning. He says, ma'am, my guy just got his head blown off by a shotgun. Would you pray for me? I started praying for him, and then they asked me to come to the funeral, and the funeral was right here off of Cicero, that place, I think it's like Cicero and Fullerton. My wife and I were the only gringos in there, and then all of a sudden in that funeral home, somebody said, they came, and they got guns, so I guess the other gang came. My wife and I were the first ones out there. I ran down Cicero. My wife's like, wait, and I'm like, you come on, catch up. There goes the gringo, white lightning. There he goes. I said, man, I got I to gotta get out of here. What is world is going on? That's how a TI is, though, isn't it? We don't live in Mayberry, do we? Don't we live in Chicago? In Chicago for Jesus. Chicago for Jesus. We'll live and die for this thing. Some of my heroes have died for it. I'm going to probably die for it at some point. There might be a bullet that has my name. There might be a person that doesn't like me. Remember, they threatened to burn us down, blow us up. One of those days, by God's grace, I might die a martyr's death. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to do it by the grace of Jesus Christ, not the strength of my own. I'm not afraid of death. Death has been defeated in Jesus' name. Don't weep for my children because they had a dad that died early. No, weep for the ones that never had a dad. My children at least had a dad that loved them and prayed for them every night and kissed them. Pray for those that don't have that. They'll be fine in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was willing to give his life. Jesus said, come follow me. Every one of those disciples signed their death warrants when they did that. Every one of them signed over their life to Jesus Christ. Most of those disciples were crucified or beaten and stoned just like Jesus. They were killed and martyred. How dare we now in the 21st century say that we're above this, that we won't pay this price? Is he still not worthy? Is he still not our Christ and Lord? That's why when we stand for Jesus Christ, we have to be ready to give our lives. Now going to the, to the message of Jesus here, when he meets with this woman, we now need to do this for others. What are the four things we see in the, in the previous scriptures, in the ministry of Jesus? You don't have to turn there, but it's in the same passage we've read just earlier in John chapter 1 and onward. Number one, we make time to be with people in the public square. Jesus got out of his religiosity and sat down with the woman where she was at publicly. We need to leave these four walls and go out there and preach the gospel. 
We have won people to the Lord at every one of these parks in this community. Reese Park, we got disciples from in Jesus' name. Portage Park, we got some disciples from there in Jesus' name. Humble Park, disciples. Logan Square, disciples. Bus stops, train stations, all of them have been marked by the glory of God. Amen? And so we have to get out of our four walls. We have to stand on these corners. I remember there was a church, uh, Brother Jason, right down here. This man's not pastoring anymore. There's a good man pastoring there now. His name's Pastor Kenny, and he preaches at the Rock Brickyard. But it used to be called something else, and I won't get into it now. And it was right there at the Brickyard on the corner of Diversity. And what's that street, Narragansett? Thank you. And there was a pastor there, and he was friends with my other friend who was a pastor. And he said that he would see me standing out there Wednesdays preaching before the children's ministry with a big old Bible. And he said to his friend, who was my friend, he said, what's wrong with Joe and that church? Are they a cult now? That's what a pastor said about your pastor preaching the gospel on that corner. That man had got so far, he doesn't pastor there anymore, but that man had gotten so far from the gospel of Jesus Christ that he thought I was more like a Jehovah Witness and a Mormon than I was like Jesus. This is how all your disciples did it in Jesus' name. This is how Jesus did it. You're not better than Jesus. Are you listening to me? And if you don't recognize what Jesus did, you don't know Jesus. Jesus was on the streets. Jesus was with the people. That's what our Jesus did. I remember meeting a Catholic man. I don't know where he was from, somewhere in Europe. I'll put, it on, I'll put him on my people, Polish. I remember me preaching and him taking his big old, uh, you know, idolatry cross and saying, my priest would never do this out here. My priest would never do this. I said, your priest is nothing like Jesus then because my Jesus went to the highways and the byways. He stood on corners and he preached the word of God. You and your father, Tom, can go in dark closets and tell naughty secrets, but I'll preach the gospel in public to the day I die. That's where I'll be in Jesus' name. Let these cults outdo us. God have mercy. I have to debate this and discuss this with professors and cemeteries. I mean seminaries. When a cult can pick it up, preach the word of God. Jehovah Witnesses understand it. That's why they preach it all day, today and tomorrow. You see them out every weekend, don't you? Over these bus stops. They got so scared of us, they start calling us Satanas running to the other side. I'm t- am I not telling the truth? They used to cross over. They used to come right down here every Sunday before their service. But we were out here every Sunday. So there was like a little West Side story. Little, little, come on, what side you on, boy? I see you got a Bible, but what kind of Bible, huh? What you slanging, all right. So we started preaching to them, and we love them. We preached to them. And then they started going over to the other side. Then we started to holler at them, hey, yo, J-Dub, what, what? <laughs> no, I'm kidding, half kidding. We're like, yo, 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 this is a disciple's corner. We got the real gospel, and then we don't see them no more. <laughs> Seriously, I'm telling you the truth. We run up on them in Jesus' name. We've been all to their churches. We ran up on them in Jesus' name. They get scared when they see us coming. I'm being honest with you. Black Hebrew Israelites, do you think they're scary on the streets of Chicago? They get scared when we come. They turn down the mic when we come. They take it away from us. I don't know if you were out there that one day, but there was a black Hebrew Israelite Monday night. He got so rocked, he started complaining to a white woman how I wasn't treating him right. The same white woman that he wants to enslave and rape in his new kingdom, he had to run to this white woman to get some little sympathy because we were rocking him so hard in Jesus' name. We're not scared. Why? Because we're prepared in Jesus' name. We're not scared. We're prepared. You have the truth. 
You don't have to be intimidated by those who have a different version, a perversion. You have the original version in Jesus' name. Amen? Know what you know and be willing to share it with others. Now, of course, there's more than just sass here. There's love. See, Jesus loved this woman. I love Belmont and Clark. I'm not mad at them in the natural sense like a, like a sinner is mad at another sinner. I'm not hating on them. I love them. I want them to know and love Jesus Christ. I want them to come to my house, have a meal with my family. I want them to see what Christianity really looks like. That's why we go into the high schools. We got students here, one from, the, you know, one from gospel preaching from all the different outreaches we do. I always point to Jason here. Jason comes from Shures, right? Jason comes from TJ doing a school club in Shures and uh, Jose going to go preach there. And we got them from all other places too. In the second service, we'll have Cynthia Rodon and her family. That comes from Cynthia Jr. You're here at Prosser getting saved. You'd be surprised. Students will listen to us, but the professors will get in our way. We'll rebuke the professor right in front of the students. Some of these students have, I remember we were there at Prosser preaching right there on the sidewalk, and this girl said, I can't believe you're telling all these kids this. I can't believe you've been told you came from the goo through the zoo to you. We're telling you the real story here. Don't get mad at us. We're not the liars. They've been lying to you in there. And now we're on equal ground, so go get your scientists. Go get your professor, uh, pastors right here. Let's see who's got the goods in Jesus' name. I remember standing out there at Wright College winning souls to the Lord by God's grace out there. And I remember one of the professors, I'll never forget, talk about white privilege, coming to defend a Latino man from getting rocked by the gospel. I said, listen here, professor, he don't need your help. Oh, just leave them alone. You're just, you're just beating them up. I said, no, I'm preaching the gospel to him. He can take it. It's called freedom of speech. This professor tried to get in the way, and then I said, bring me to your class, professor. I won't interrupt you. We'll do equal time, and I'll pay you $25 an hour for your time, and I guarantee you we'll see who's got the truth on their side. And that still stands in Jesus' name. Are you all listening to me? It still stands. I'll pay them $25 an hour. I'll go to their class. I won't interrupt them. All I ask for is fair time and to let me speak the word of God without interruption. And the word of God will win every single time. Every time. We're not afraid. God has given us grace. But why do we do I go back to pounding this Bible because I'm so excited in Jesus' name. Blah, 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 blah. 66 clips in the word of God is what I got. You come acting in sin, you're going to get block, block. <laughs> John 3.16 is what I mean. Hallelujah. That's why I become rolling crispy and clean. <laughs> You can't sleep in this church. I know you try, but you can't. can't sleep in this church. We love them. I love Belmont and Clark. I love Prosser. I love Lane Tech. And you know Lane Tech's a little different. They're a little cocky over there. They think they know everything, a little private school, whatever that is, you know. Not only that, I've been to Northside Prep. Anybody heard of Northside Prep? Been over there, been to UIC, been preaching all the, over this city in Jesus' name. You know why? Because we love them. I remember being at U of I, preaching the gospel to engineers, people getting doctorates and masters, not intimidated by one thing. Why? Because when the truth is on your side, the truth will win every time. That doesn't mean I always have the answers. doesn't always mean I'm quick to, to get it out there. Sometimes I st st stutter. Sometimes I say the wrong thing. You know that uh, Abraham was on the ark and then, you know, uh, Jonah got the Ten Commandments. Have anybody here ever made a mistake before? Okay, sometimes you do that, but you know what? You're there because you love them. 
You're there because you care about them. How many have been out there when we've preached at the abortion clinic and they come all triggered and screaming and then we say, I dare you to grab the mic and have a rational conversation. And then you can see those video clips as well as they get rocked in Jesus' name. I remember one time out there with a lawyer. Well, I believe in human rights. I believe in human rights. What do you do for the baby that's alive? Well, we do everything you would do. Feed them, clothe them, take care of them. That's why Christians have orphanages, you oompa loompa. Are you not paying attention to human history? Come on, can I hear an amen for Christian orphanages? That's why we've been doing Christian charity. You ever heard of the Salvation Army started by Christians? Okay, so anyway, and he's like, well, I believe in human rights. I'm like, what is it inside of a woman's womb, a human or something else? Well, well I, I don't know. What does science say it is, Bubba? It's a human, and it has the right to live in Jesus' name. And if you, as a wicked, filthy sinner, don't want your human, we'll adopt them in Jesus' name. We'll adopt them in Jesus' name. How many believe that? God has been so good to this church, but we do what Jesus did. We sit down with people. We reason with them. We teach them the word of God. So number one, you got to be where people are at. Stop hiding in the church. Come early to your life groups. Go out and evangelize. Go to the monthly gatherings of your life group when they go out on Saturdays. Join us for the big outreaches that happen. I remember one year we were doing the Boricua Fest, and a guy got offended with us when I preached like this. And I've heard it so many different times, but this guy had enough boldness to say it to me, so I guess he was crazy or just truly honest. I don't know one or the other, but he definitely got more than he bargained for when he did it. He said, well, pastor, you know, I, I love your church. And he didn't talk like this, but this is how he sounded. Are you listening? I love your church, and I love the music here, and I love everybody's my friend, and they welcome me here. But why are you telling me I have to go preach the gospel? Why do I have to go over here? And I'm like, are you saved? Are you saved? I literally asked him that. Are you saved? Listen, because if you're saved, you want to get other people saved in Jesus' name. I never went to one evangelism conference. All I did as a young man got saved, and I took this Bible out to Fryman Square where I used to skateboard, and I stood up on top of the places where they would skate, and I preached the gospel. My friends from the church said, where did you learn that from? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and a man named Jesus. The book of Acts. It's not called the book of pews. Because if you stay on them too long, that's why you stink with your attitude. Pew, 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 pew. It's called the book of Acts. Get up off your holy backside and preach in Jesus' name. Preach the gospel. Use your words. Somebody said preach it and at very least use your words. No, you have to use your words. We can do good deeds, but we have more than a water problem. We have more than clean water problem. We have more than a food problem. We have more than a fatherless problem. We have a sin problem. The greatest humanitarian issues is souls going to hell without Jesus. Who will go? Who will go where the woman at the well is and preach to her? I remember being a center skateboarding at that same place, Fryman Square. And I remember preachers coming to me. That's the only time in all of my 18 years that I ever remember a street preacher coming to me. And I'll tell you what, it brings me to tears every time I think about those two brothers who came 
to that skateboard park to preach to a sinner like me. And I mocked them and I ridiculed them. And when my friend who wasn't raised a Christian, see, I was a backslider. We're the worst, aren't we? Church Kids Gone Rogue, that's a video series to watch. Are you listening? It would be wicked, but it would open your eyes to what church kids can do out there when they're wicked. They're just as bad, if not worse, than the world. And I remember pulling my friend from them, pulling my friend from the gospel preachers because I thought I knew better. But you know those men that day, they had to say goodbye to their families. They had to decide that Saturday, honey, we're, we're not doing garden work. We're not going to go see a movie. Honey, I'm going to go down to where the skateboarders are. And then they had to say to themselves, because I know I've done it with others as I've been on the preaching side, I know when they saw us, they had to say something like this to themselves. Brother, you ready for this? Because these skaters aren't going to probably be nice to us. And I can just imagine one saying to the other, Jesus is worth it. Let's go love on some skateboarders today. And that day I saw what the love of God looks like. Another time I saw my friends holding up pro-life signs in downtown Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I stuck my bud out my friend's car on the way to the skate park and mooned all of them going about five miles an hour, honking the horn, sticking my bud out the window. I'm telling you, I know what it's like to be a filthy sinner. But I also know what it's like to look back on those moments and say that was a wall of love that day for the unborn. Those people stood out there saying, I believe in life. I believe in family. And I was wicked to do what I did. I used to call up the, the prayer hotlines of TV evangelists and pretend I had demons. Hello. That's how I used to mess. My name is Joe. I'll mess with them like that. Are you listening to me? If I told you what I did in church parking lots, you would want me not to be your pastor. I sold drugs in church parking lots. I made out with girls. I knew the places to hide. I knew where to go. Are you listening to me? I threatened a church janitor before. I'm telling you, I'm, I was a wicked sinner. Somebody say he was wicked. I was a wicked sinner. That's why I never talk about that part of my testimony unless it's relevant. But you know what God did to me? He filled me with the Holy Ghost. He saved me. And the moment I got saved, you know what I did? I went to my mom and I said, Mom, I've got to go out and i got to start preaching. How do I do it? She said, just read your Bible and go do what they did. And I started doing it. I then said, you know what? I want to bring out food to those who are hurting. I remember I used to hang out with Spanky out there and Eden Greens. We used to sell drugs together. That's what his name was. Anybody know a funny name? person like that, Spanky. Spanky and I used to sell drugs out there in old Eden Park. And I said, you know what? I remember being there in Eden Green and seeing the kids of the projects running around in diapers with not a lot. I said, I want to go get some food. So you got to think about this. An 18-year-old kid just a few months off drugs would go with the car that my parents gave me to the food bank, fill it up. It was 10 cents a pound. So I would put in about $100 of my own money in Jesus' name, get about a thousand pounds of food, fill it all up, drive right to the hood, open up the doors and start preaching. That's the first place that I preached before I went on TV into the jailhouses. I preached in Eden Green. That's how that man knew about me to get me preaching on a Christian channel. He said, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> I didn't even know how to look like a preacher, but I tried. I slicked my hair back. I put on a suit, and I hollered. I said, that's what they do. They spit and holler. At least they'll get yelled at, right? But I loved people. 
Still to this day, why is it this church, think about it, is the only church you know of that has a gospel truck to go all around this city? It's because we'll keep doing what Jesus told us to do. I'm not saying we're better than the others. I'm just saying God put it in our heart and we'll do whatever it takes in Jesus' name. How many want to go with me to where the people are at with Jesus? Amen. I remember when we first got that gospel truck, the Lord said to me, we're going to raise the money, debt-free, pay for it. And it was a plan that we set in motion. And then God told me like this. He said, and guess who's going to preach on it for the first year and a half, two years? And if nobody comes, it's going to do it. And the Lord said, that's you. The Lord told me, I'm going to be the first one that takes it out. No one is going to say, well, this pastor, he sits back like Boss Hog. If anybody remembers, uh, you know, uh, what was that? The Dukes of Hazard. Oh, Boss Hog, you boys, you know, I'm just going to sit over here. You guys go preach over there. I'm done preaching. No, the Lord said, you go and preach on that nonstop until everybody in the church sees how it's done and there's no excuses. That's why we showed up everywhere. There's the pastor preaching right there in front of the schools. We preached it right in front of your school. We preached it in front of the other schools. We preached it in front of the colleges. We would set that truck up in the middle of parks. We were told, and we still are told, that we don't have the right permit. And I say, I got the right one right here. It's Matthew chapter 28, 19 and onwards. It's the right one. The one who made heavens and earth says, I belong here in Jesus' name. Boys around the hood say I'm certified too. If you want their certification, they'll say my goods are good in Jesus' name. So we just kept preaching. That's, where we, that's what we do. And just the other week, another pastor asked me. He said, oh, man, can you teach me how to do that? Show me this. And I said, yeah, I got a brother who did. He'll tell you how to do it. But we're going to keep doing these things. We're going to go to where the people are at. We're going to go to where they're at. We're not staying where we're at. We're going to where they're at. I know sometimes people say, well, Joe, I want to go out there and sing to them. Well, sing to them, that's fine, but then preach to them. Well, Joe, I want to do a skit and have somebody dress up like Jesus and we beat them. We've done that before, pretend like you're beating on Jesus. Okay, but then after that, what are you going to do? You're going to preach to them. Well, Joe, I just want to give out socks to the homeless and, and hamburgers and whatever, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. All right, go out and do that. And then do what? Preach to them. Well, Joe, I just want to go to the pet park by my house and I want to bring all these little pet treats, treats that say John. 316 and love all these people. Okay, great. Go and do that and then do what? Preach to them in Jesus' name. I don't see how we get it confused other than we're rebellious. So number one, preach to them. Number two, show them the goodness of God that he meets needs. Jesus spoke to that woman at the well and said, hey, you're here for water? I get it. You're thirsty. And I'm going to show you now what the real thirst is. You're really thirsty in your soul and I'm going to fill you up. We go everywhere to where people are at, and we present the Jesus that meets needs. You're in a hospital visiting a loved one, preach to those that are there and meet the needs and show them Jesus is a healer. You're going to your job, those who need money for their families, preach to them and show Jesus is the provider. You see school, uh, kids going to school to learn, to make something of their future, preach to them and show them Jesus is their good shepherd. Do you get a pattern here? You see people at the park with their families go preach to them and show them Jesus is the Son and God is a good Father and the Holy Spirit's our comforter. You go and you show them that Jesus meets needs. As you then do the third thing, you preach to them and you bring to them their sin. Jesus, even in that moment with the woman, showed her her sin. She had to deal with all the baby daddies she had. She had to know her life was not right, but he still loved her enough to change her. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but too much what? To let you stay that way. And then what's the last thing? You follow up with them. 
You don't just birth a baby and set it out to die. You birth a new spiritual child and you care for it. You follow up. You give them a call. You do a Facebook. You appreciate the time that they're giving you because you know what it was like to once be in their place where you don't, when you didn't understand everything, when you felt a bit overwhelmed, when you didn't uh, you know, think that you could make it. You follow up on people. Jesus stayed with the Samaritans for a few days. How many are glad Jesus stays with us? And so now what are you going to do? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. Paul said, woe if I don't preach. Woe, sorrow, trouble to me if I don't preach. Paul was motivated to preach to lost souls because he knew what Jesus had did in his life. I met my wife preaching at Mardi Gras. There she is right there. Nancy, can I get a what, what for preaching together in Mardi Gras? That's where I met her. Do the will of God and you'll meet the people in the will of God. Did you hear what I said? Do the will of God, and you'll meet the right people in the will of God. Meet them at church. Meet them doing ministry. Meet them at the Bible study, and watch what God will do in your life. Look at what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. For when I preach, I can't boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, I can't even boast in this. I'm compelled to do it. How many of you, if you saw somebody suffering right now, you'd be compelled to reach out and help them? Like you hear those stories of the mother rescuing the child. They do the things that are most extraordinary. Why? They don't even think about it. It's an instinct. They're compelled. That's why I said to that young man back in the day who was questioning why he should have to preach, I said, are you saved? Because how can you see that the harvest is ripe and you don't want to preach? How can this be your response of apathy? Something is amiss. You must not know him yet, or you are very close to walking away from him. Maybe you're on bad terms with him, and you're hurt by him, or you feel like he's done you wrong, and now you don't want to talk about God anymore. You know what? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Street evangelism is like a thermometer of your heart. If you don't want to go out and talk about Jesus, what's your problem with him? What's your relational issues with my Jesus that you don't think he's good enough to talk about out there? He's worthy. He died on the cross naked for you, beaten and battered. Not just so you could take a little cute communion today. He did that so that all of your deep secret sins that you are ashamed of could be forgiven, washed clean. Now why would you be ashamed of him? Jesus said, anyone that's ashamed of me in this wicked and adulterous generation, I will be ashamed of them in my father's throne. That's why I say to Christians, you better watch out when you talk to us on the streets. They come by us, well, we don't do that at my church. I go to first whatever backslidden church. You better be careful how you address us Christians out here. Even if you don't agree with our methods, you better watch your words. Because Jesus said how you treat them is going to be held against you. If you cause any one of these little ones to stumble, Jesus says it's better for you to take a millstone tied around your neck and drown yourself in the sea. I know we use that scripture towards child abuse, but that is an application of that scripture. The true intent of that scripture is the little ones preaching the gospel. Other Christians who see you preaching the gospel are commanded by God to greet you in peace and if they have the time and the resources to offer you water. If they do not, they may be in trouble on judgment day and some of them I believe will. Maybe they don't see us, that's why I say a may. They don't, they're just moving along. Uh, maybe they've been burned on that corner by other preachers that are cult preachers, etc. But I'm telling you, God will hold responsible those who are true Christians who do not greet other Christians in the name of Christ and offer them grace and peace and water and refreshment if they can. God will hold them accountable. Let alone the ones who mock us, ridicule us, debate with us, on the streets, wasting our time. 
I love what Ricky Castor said. These cowardly Christians will debate with us, get angry with us, and then walk by 10 Jehovah Witnesses, 10 Mormons, 10 black Hebrew Israelites, and be as, as, as a chicken and not say one thing. And yet you want to waste our time. And we are Trinitarian, biblical, faith alone Christians. God have mercy on those Christians. So you, please, if you ever see someone preaching the gospel, greet them in the name of Jesus. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Grace and peace to you. I am glad that you're here. And if you have the resources, bring them refreshments. And I want to say to God's grace, almost with tears in my eyes right now, many Christians have done this for us on the streets, and some of you have seen it. I remember one police officer, he came out of his squad car with Dunkin' Donut uh, a hot chocolates and gave it to us and said, God bless you, brothers, I'm a Christian. I've seen bus drivers right here stop as they've seen us preaching here, honk the horn and say, God bless you. How many have ever seen that when you're out preaching? Christians will make it known. I'm a Christian, and I'm proud of you, brother. I'm proud of you, sister. I'm praying for you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Many, many times I've seen that happen, so let us be a part of that in Jesus' name. Amen? So here are the four things we get from Jesus' example. Be where the people are at. Go out of your way to be where they're at. Number two, show them the goodness of God that he meets needs. Number three, preach to them and bring up repentance. We can't just tell them the good side, that there's a heaven and that there's a lot of blessings for them. We have to tell them of the sin and the punishment and the curse that Jesus took on the cross. And then lastly, follow up with them. I have names and numbers of those I'm still praying for even here, from my neighbors to my landscaper to the one who cuts my hair. Come on, somebody. I'm reaching out to people. I'm praying for them. I'm here for them. I was in Aldi's one day, met a man. He got saved. He gave his or rededicated his life to the Lord, started spending time with me. That was from an Aldi's conversation. His name was Michael. Pray for Michael in Jesus' name to continue to serve God. Amen? Turn with me here to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and onward. Vinny, would you come quickly, please? We have five NIV translations uh, open up there of, of Andrew. Write these down and open up each one of these, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 26. And Luke chapter 14, verse 21. If he didn't get all of that, I got it right here. I want to give them these in closing. And then bring that back to me, please. How many believe you, you today can preach the word of God? How many believe God empowers you with the Holy Spirit to do this? How many believe this should be our passion? Look what the Bible says here. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. You see how those three things are there? So a third of my message when I'm preaching on the streets is going to be what? Correction. Somebody say correction. Come on, a third of our message when we preach is going to be what? Correction. We're going to correct stinking thinking in Jesus' name, right? What's the other third going to be? Rebuking. We're going to be telling people to stop doing things. That's what it literally means, to tell someone to stop doing immoral behavior. And what's the last one? Encourage them. So two-thirds of it, thank you, sir, two-thirds of it may seem a little bit intense for most people, but it's a part of what we do. We correct, we rebuke, and we encourage. We cannot just do the encouragement. Looking now to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. 
Look at what the scripture says. Until I come, Paul the apostle speaking here, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture. To the private reading of scripture just when you're at home in a Bible study? Just when you're at church on private property? No, to the public reading of scripture. To preaching and teaching. You want to know the difference, Logan, between preaching and teaching? Preaching is when you yell it. Teaching is when you tell it. (laughs) If I'm yelling, I'm preaching. If I'm telling, I'm teaching. Have kids. Look to Luke chapter 13, verse 26. We find patterns of Jesus doing this all throughout the Bible. Look at what Jesus did. On judgment day, Jesus says, some of you guys are going to be in a lot of trouble, those who are around during this time. And what will be what they'll say to Jesus when he says, I don't know you? This is what Jesus says they'll say back. We ate and drank with you, Jesus, and you taught in our what? Where did Jesus teach? In our streets. That means on Judgment Day, they will have no excuse because they, out of their own words, will say, Jesus, you did make time to eat and drink with us. How many times have you been out with us when we fed the homeless, taking care of the needy? All the time. Even when we haven't set that as a day to do it and someone says we're, they're, they're hungry, we always say, just wait till we're done and then we'll get you something to eat. Jesus was the same way, always meeting needs, eating and drinking with them. But what was he always doing? Teaching on the streets. So does Chicago have any excuse if they were to die today and not have Christ? No, because they would say, Metro praise. Y'all came eating and drinking with us. And you came teaching on our streets. Look to the last one in closing, please. Luke chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus again. Jesus gave us a parable of what it was going to be like in the end times and how we would have to prepare for his wedding banquet. How many are ready for Jesus to come back? Come on, I said, how many are ready for Jesus to to come back, to be the bride of Christ? And this is what he says we are to do. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Why did the owner become angry? Because nobody wanted to come to the wedding. Those who were invited, they didn't want to come. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into where? The streets. And where? The alleys of the town. And bring the poor. Bring in the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So the servant went out. He got one-eyed Willie. He got methed out Mary there on the corner, always holding her sign. And guess what? He says, it's been done, but there's still room. Hallelujah. How many know heaven's a big, big place? Then he said to him, he said, go out to the roads and the country lanes. Thank God for preachers in Indiana and compel them to come in that my house may be full. We're going to get everybody The crippled, the lame, those in the cities, those in the country. Heaven's a big place. Let's fill it up with Mormons. Let's fill it up with Jehovah Witnesses. Let's fill it up with Muslims. Let's fill it up with Hindus. Let's fill it up with those from the LGBT community. Let's fill it up with teenagers from all of the high schools. Let's fill it up. Let's fill up heaven with all the people in the high rises downtown in Jesus' name. Let's fill up heaven. Let's go out and do the work of God. Now, I know some of you might say, well, I'm not prepared. Well, that's why we pray for you to get prepared, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, hallelujah, just like the disciples did. 
That wasn't today's message, but if you read Acts chapter 1 and 2, it says that they were scared, they were intimidated, but the Holy Spirit came on them, gave them power. They began to speak in other tongues. This connected them to heaven. Then they were able to speak in the languages of their people and had power and authority and boldness. We speak with our tongue. And so God wants to anoint our tongue with these other tongues, the baptism of the Spirit. Altar workers, would you come please? And so each one of these altar workers will pray for you today. If in any way you say, man, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I'm ready for this. God will get you ready. Amen? I said amen. Won't God get us ready? He won't leave us unprepared. We don't want you to go out there and be mocked and ridiculed and be treated as one that wasn't prepared. So come get prayer to get prepared. And then those today who don't know Jesus in our service, we welcome you to come know Jesus. Amen? Can everyone stand with us now? Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word? We bless the word of God here today. Amen. As everybody's standing, this man of God grabs this mic. I just want to make sure you know how to end this service with us today. If you don't know Jesus personally, please ask one of these to pray with you so that you may know Jesus, be born again. If you already know Jesus and you would say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm prepared. I don't feel ready. I have insecurities about preaching. Ask them to pray for you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, those of us who would say, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Would you then pray that this week God will lead you to the places that he has for you? Life groups will be doing evangelism this week. Saturday evangelism, tonight evangelism, pretty much evangelism every day of the week. <laughs> and guess what? God can use you on your bus trip. God can use you in front of your job. God can use you at your family uh, dinner today. Amen? Let's pray. Band, would you come, please? Father, we thank you that you prepared us for this moment. You gave us your word. Now empower us, O oh God. Those of us who are already baptized in the Holy Spirit, give us more of that power and authority in Jesus' name. Those who are not saved in this place, you can begin to come forward. Or those who want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can do that now. But right now, I want to pray for the rest of us who already have these great gifts. We're ready to go. Lord, I pray you use us. Take away our fears. Take away our insecurities. And help us to stand in your strength in Jesus' name. A few moments right now, and then we'll dismiss. You can come at any time now, even for anything else. If you want to come, you can. Right now, I also want to rebuke the devil. We have a real war going on. This is a real war. It's not fantasy. It's not fiction. I pray against Satan, who may be attacking you or your family right now. In Jesus' name, I pray for Satan to loose them and let them go. Be free. Even if you are here right now being attacked by Satan, be free in Jesus' name. Thoughts of suicide, addiction to sin, evil in your nightmares or dreams. Right now, all presence of evil, go in Jesus' name. Right now, go. Go. Those who are thankful for the power of God, just begin to speak in other tongues and praise Him right now. You can jump, shout, holler, but do something right now. Come on, praise Him. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Those baptized in the Holy Spirit, feel free to speak in other languages between you and God, being filled up with the gas of heaven.
getting gassed up today, filled up with the power of God. Nothing's impossible. You shall do all things through Christ who gives you strength in Jesus' name. Whatever situations you're facing today, God is able. He's on your side. Hallelujah.